Long, long ago, in an ancient land, there lived an emperor who was much beloved. He was kind, wise, caring, truthful. But the emperor had no children, and so no one was quite sure who would be the next emperor. The emperor was a great lover of plants and had many, many plants, and so people thought it made sense when the emperor announced how he would choose his successor. He invited all the children of the land to come to the palace and receive a seed, which they would plant and care for for a year and then bring back what they grew. All the children came and they received their seeds. They were very happy. This seemed like a very easy test. And they had a whole year to do it. But a year is a long time. Some of them didn't get started on their homework right away and let it sit there. <laughs> Others got started, but then a year, oh, it's such a long time, and they found themselves not really following through. There was one child named Chen who took good and faithful care of the seed. Chen took their seed home and asked their grandfather for a pot to plant it in. Their grandfather gave them a beautiful pot that he had made. And then Chen gathered some rich soil and planted the seed in the pot, gave it sunlight and a little bit of water each day, and waited. And waited. And waited. Nothing happened. Nothing grew. It was an empty pot. Well... Chen asked advice from others who were good with plants, but as no one knew what kind of seed it was, Chen received a lot of conflicting advice. And so they tried more sun, less sun, more water, less water, some compost, some bone meal, singing to it. All year long, Chin gave good care to the seed, and yet nothing happened. It was still just an empty pot. And the day came to return to the palace, and Chin still only had an empty pot. But their grandfather encouraged them to go anyway. You did your very best. You were caring and careful. And when you do your very, very best, it's always good enough to show to others. And so Chin carried the empty pot to the palace. And there, all the children had brought amazing plants. And Chin felt even sadder standing there with the empty pot. Why, as the emperor walked along looking at the plants, there was a eucalyptus tree. There was a big jade plant, there were flowers. And then the emperor came to Chen and the empty pot and asked them to tell him how had they cared for the seed. And they told the emperor of the soil and the sun and the water and the singing and, and the waiting. I don't know what I did wrong. I just have an empty pot. The emperor went to announce 
who his successor would be. And he looked out over all the children and the plants. He said, you have brought many beautiful plants here today. They are quite lovely. But the seeds that I handed out a year ago had all been boiled. So I don't know where your plants came from. <laughs> Only Chin was honest enough to appear with an empty pot. And so Chin will be my successor. Chin and their grandfather moved into the palace where they could learn from the emperor about how to care for the people. And when the old emperor finally died, he died at peace, for he knew that Chin would be caring and honest and true to the people of the land. Our reading today is Our Highest Resolve by Howard Thurman, an African-American philosopher, author, theologian, educator, and civil rights leader who played a prominent role in many social justice movements of the 20th century. His theology of nonviolence influenced a generation of civil rights activists, including Martin Luther King, Jr. Our highest resolve. Keep fresh before us the moments of our high resolve. Despite the dullness and barrenness of the days that pass, if we search with due diligence, we can always find a deposit left by some former radiance. But we had forgotten. At the time, it was full-orbed, glorious and resplendent. We were sure we would never forget. We had forgotten how easy it is to forget. There was no intent to betray what seemed so sure at the time. Our response was whole, clean, authentic. But little by little, there crept into our lives the dust and grit of the journey. Details, lower level demands, all kinds of cross currents, nothing momentous, nothing overwhelming, nothing flagrant, just wear and tear. If there had been some direct challenge, a clear-cut issue, we would have fought it to the end and beyond. In the quietness of this place, surrounded by the all-pervading presence of God, our hearts whisper, keep fresh before us our moments of high resolve that in fair weather or in foul, in good times or in tempest, in the days when the darkness and the foe are nameless or familiar, we may not forget that to which our life is committed. Keep fresh before us the moments of our high resolve. So ends the reading.
A few weeks ago, many of us celebrated New Year's Eve and New Year's Day, perhaps gathering with others to count down to the new year, or maybe even making New Year's, <coughs> new year's resolutions. This is a threshold holiday because it marks a transition from one year to the next. And we use these threshold times to acknowledge the opportunity for a new beginning. Did any of you make New Year's resolutions? Anybody? You don't have to say what they are. Yeah. <laughs> a few people did. Good for you. And good luck. <laughs> I'm not a resolution maker. That doesn't really work for me. I know it works for lots of folks. But I did use the holiday for reflection on the past year. It was a year of a lot of transition for me and my family. And while the new year is often about looking forward, I noticed that my reflection was more about looking back. And while the new year holiday has an element of starting over, it also has an element of return. We reflect on what has happened and we return to our core values as we resolve to live up to them more fully in the new year. In this month of new beginnings, we have been exploring the spiritual theme of integrity, seeking to deepen our understanding of how integrity works in our lives and in the larger world with the hope that this understanding will inform how we live. We began with the idea of integrity as personal. And then we talked about the personal idea of wholeness, living in the world fully as we are, not leaving parts of ourselves behind. We moved and expanded the idea of integrity into the larger community. We considered inclusion as the spiritual practice of integrity and we explored the beloved community as envisioned by the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. We were invited into the definition of integrity as, an, as wholeness. Well, there is a second definition of integrity that has to do with the way that we act, that our behavior is in alignment with our values. The New Oxford American Dictionary defines integrity as the quality of being honest and having strong moral principles, moral uprightness. Living with integrity then also means being honest and transparent about what we believe and acting in accord with those beliefs. This type of integrity requires that we know what our values and beliefs are and that we use them to make decisions and take action. Questions about integrity, big questions about integrity, are playing out right now on the national stage. Integrity of people, integrity of process, integrity of our democracy. So one way to frame this definition of integrity as alignment is that we have a moral compass and we use it. So a compass, like this one, is a tool that helps us find our direction when we're on our journey, 
that helps us find north or whichever direction we're headed. A moral compass is an internalized set of values that guide us regarding ethical behavior and decision-making. A moral compass helps us find our direction on the journey of life. Family therapist Brian Zitzman identifies five reasons that it's a good idea to have a strong moral compass. And his first one is that it grounds our identity, who we are. Zitzman writes this, if you don't know what you stand for and what your ethics and beliefs are, it's very difficult to make moral choices at all, let alone good ones. By establishing and following a set of moral values, you provide yourself and those around you with a sense of consistency. I would call this spiritual grounding. Spiritual grounding when our core values and beliefs are the foundation for our actions. When I speak about spiritually grounded justice work, what I mean is that we act for justice based on our core values. And what I know from my own experience and the experiences of others is that in order for our justice work to be sustainable, it has to be grounded in our core values. It is those values that we return to again and again when the work is hard, because it will be, and when we are tired, because we will be. Without those core values to remind us of the why, we burn out and we have no energy for the what. A moral compass is a touchstone we return to when we need sustenance for the long haul. So finding our moral compass means knowing what our core values are. Theologian Richard Rohr said, when you get your who am I question right, all of your what should I do questions tend to take care of themselves. So one way to learn what our core values are is to work backward toward them from our actions. How do we spend our time? How do we spend our money or our other resources? Where do we turn our attention? And what do we choose when we have to choose? Each of these actions can tell us something about what it is that we hold most dear. And of course, it's possible to say that we hold values that are not reflected in our actions. I would suggest this is not integrity because it's not honest. It's not walking our talk. An honest examination of our actions can tell us about our core values, at least the ones that we are acting on now. And perhaps one of the best ways to identify our values is to notice what makes us mad. What do we get upset about? What do we experience that makes us so angry that we actually do something? So when I was in seminary, I was challenged to explore my own core values in a way that I had not before. 
in part, I think, because being a minister means accompanying others on their own journey of exploration. And while I had always been an animal lover and especially fond of cats ever since I was a little girl, it was while I was in seminary that I fully embraced my identity as a cat lady. <laughs> so what that looked like was walks in our Salem neighborhood with kibble and cat treats in my pocket for all of the cats that I met along the way regulars that I visited, and strays that I sometimes, okay, usually always, brought home. <laughs> I became familiar with all of the no-kill shelters within a 50-mile radius, and the emergency vets, and the local clinics. A blanket-covered heating pad in our garage was often the hospital or hospice for a stray cat. Now, this behavior didn't always sit well with my neighbors, <laughs> let alone my very understanding and loving husband, or the two cats who lived in our home. There are many stories to tell, and John might tell you some if you ask him. So the gist of this story is that the welfare of cats who I perceived to be suffering prompted me to action. Animal cruelty makes me mad. Animal neglect makes me mad. And so animal welfare is important to me. It's one of my core values. It informs my charitable giving. It informs my volunteer activities. And it informs my eating habits. I am an always vegetarian, mostly vegan, because of this core value that has to do with animal welfare. So knowing our moral compass requires reflection and contemplation, thinking and observing, listening to our heart and our spirit. This is where spiritual practice is so important. Whether it's sitting in meditation or taking a walk in nature or writing in a journal or something else, we need spiritual practice to help us go back, return to that which is most important to us. Our values guide us toward what we ought to do in a given situation, not what we might want to do in that moment or what others might want us to do. No matter how we get our core values, when we live in accordance with them, we are in alignment. We are authentic, and we are living in integrity. Do you know what your core values are? So once we know our basic and most dear values, activating or using our moral compass is the next step. When we don't, we may not act in alignment with that which is most important to us. And each time we don't act in alignment, we feel out of sync. We lose trust with ourselves. And over time, we lose ourselves. We become disconnected from our inner core. 
So sometimes it's easy and clear to use our moral compass and thank heaven for those times when that happens. And sometimes it's really challenging, like in our story today. There are many reasons for this challenge. We may fear losing the opportunity to do something that we really want, like Chen in our story. We might suffer difficult short-term consequences, like going against our peers or friends and losing their friendship and support. Or we might feel that we need to go against our boss or a client, putting our livelihood in jeopardy. We may disagree with our families or those who are closest to us. We may feel isolated and alone. And it may require sacrifice on our part, like the people who are putting water in the desert on the border and who are being criminally prosecuted by our government for doing so. And it is possible sometimes that living our core values means that our life is in jeopardy. So this is where the spiritual grounding is so important. When we return to the why of our actions, the values that are at our core, it allows us to be connected to that which is most dear and that can sustain us as well as a community that helps us maintain those core values. So developing our moral compass is a process of inner and outer, both. We reflect on our values and then we act in the world and then we reflect on those actions to further reinforce or refine or tweak or change our moral compass, our core values. It is inner and outer, both. And I believe that at its very best, a faith community helps us find and use our moral compass. It is on the journey of religious education that we identify our core values no matter what age we are, from the littlest ones to our elderhood. It is on the journey of working for justice that we put our core values into action in the world. And it is in the experience of being in community that we practice our values and we learn to listen and respect the values of others even when they are different from ours. And it is in a faith community that we have help remembering who we are and what we stand for. As Howard Thurman said in today's reading, we forget. The dust and grit of our journey creeps into our lives and we forget the values that we were committed to, the moments of our high resolve. And then we forget that we forgot. It is in a faith community that we can have support for our spiritual practices like worship, covenant groups, and other small group discussions. A supportive faith community helps us return to our core values again and again and again for as many times as we might need that help. So as we come to the end of our time of exploring this theme of integrity, I invite you now into a time of meditation and ritual. 
So I would invite you to settle into your chair right now. Get comfortable in whatever way that might be. And as you settle, pay attention to your breathing. Breathe in and breathe out. If you are comfortable, soften your gaze or close your eyes. Let us return to the home of our body, mind, and spirit as we journey together inward and outward, I offer you this blessing that we may go forth in integrity. If you are comfortable, touch your hands or your hand to your own forehead. May you be blessed with wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. May your intellect take you far on your journey. You have been blessed with reason and free will. It is your call every day to use these gifts. If you are comfortable, place your hand on your throat. May you be blessed with voice. May you learn the complex nature of truth telling. The ability to speak truth in love is something that requires honesty, empathy, and care. You are challenged every day to seek the joy that comes with sharing your truth compassionately as well as listening to others. If you are comfortable, place your hand on your heart. May your heart be full and blessed with love. May you know the agony of heartbreak as it is intertwined with the elation of true love. Your heart is a strong and resilient organ, one that will be with you until the end of your time on this earth. May you heed the wisdom of your heart always and trust the truth that it tells. If you are comfortable, place your hand on your core or on your abdomen. You have been blessed with the gift of sexuality. May you always remember that you are a beloved child of God. Your body is sacred and belongs to you alone. May you live into the full expression of your identity as a human being embracing your true sexual and gender identity. The gift of sexuality brings with it many rewards as well as a great responsibility. May you always retain power over your own being, striving toward mutually fulfilling and just relationships. If you are comfortable, place your hands together. When you were a baby, your tiny hands were your first contact with the world. Before you could see more than a few feet in front of your face, you grasped the finger of a loved one. You catch yourself with your hands when you fall and you express love and comfort to others 
with them too. May your hands be gentle and strong. May you use them to carry light into the darkness and rest to the weary. May your hands always find the place of greatest need beginning with your own. And may the creator of all things hold you in the palm of your hand, of her hand, wherever you go. And if you are comfortable, wrap your arms around yourself. May you be blessed on your journey. May you remember that growth happens on the journey and that you are never alone. May you always remember that you are a whole person and that each of these parts works together. We offer our blessing upon you, body, mind, and spirit. May you be guided by compassion and truth, justice, and love. May you find rest on the journey, always remembering where you came from, being mindful that your ancestors stand behind you, whether they are present on this earth or have gone back to the soul of the world. May you be blessed in all things, and may you carry blessings wherever you go. Blessed be, and amen. <laughs>